Here is your Radio Theater Channel weekly podcast for download. The RTC still has the very best old-time radio on the live streaming. And if it's music you love, tune in to the RTC Music Channel, where this link and many others are on our website at oldtimeradiolisten.com. Now, here's Jim. Hello and welcome everybody to the RTC Weekly Download. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jim Dolan. Today, two programs uh, that are slightly on the funnier side, I believe. We'll start off with Mayor of the Town, starring Lionel Barrymore from 1948. We'll follow that up in 30 minutes with People Are Funny with Art Linkletter. This is Giving Away Frogs from 1952. Now Lionel Barrymore in Mayor of the Town. This program is transcribed from an earlier network broadcast. Really? Butch? Anybody home? I'm here, Mayor. Mayor, Abby and I want you to complain to the telephone company. That new subscriber on our line talks in European French and we can't understand a word she says. Not Dima presents Starring Lionel Barrymore with Agnes Moorhead as Morelli and Conrad Binion as Bush. Remember Mark Twain's famous comment, everybody talks about the weather, but nobody does anything about it? Well, I'd like to add a postscript. You can do something about what the weather does to you. You don't just have to put up with a chapped windburned face, rough red hands, or the all-over discomfort of winter skin. Just reach for Noxema Medicated Skin Cream. See how it soothes and softens rough, dry skin. Makes hands look whiter, more appealing. Actual clinical tests. Show Noxema helps even severely chapped skin heal faster, often in as little as 24 hours. And here's another tip. Try Noxema as an all-over body rub after your tub or shower. It helps keep your skin feeling soft, lessens the irritation often caused by warm woolen clothes. Get a jar of Noxema tomorrow. The big 10-ounce economy size being featured at your druggist now. And now, the mayor of the town starring Lionel Barrymore. Well, it's an early January evening in Springdale, and supper is over at the old-fashioned house on Elm Street. The mayor is sitting in front of the study fire, half-dozing over the evening clarion. His ward, Butch, is lying on the couch, an unopened history book on his stomach, and idly drawing pictures on the frosted windowpane with his thumbnail. Marilly comes in from the kitchen. Well, I finally got them finished. Dishes, 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 dishes. Honestly, for three civilized people, there's a... Roscoe! Yeah, Marilly? What are you doing? Nothing. Well, stop it. Yes, sir. You can do more damage doing nothing than 20 other folks doing something. As soon as that frost melts, the whole window pane will be covered with moss. Oh, doggone it, Marilla. Will you please sit down and relax? I am relaxed. Well, relax all over. Oh. I am right in the middle of January doldrums. I'm in no mood for a lot of vocal fireworks. was because... Do I believe in what? Thought transference. Thought. You mean thinking something real hard until the someone you're thinking at gets what you're thinking about? Is that the... 
<laughs> That's it in the king-size coconut shell. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, yes, I believe in it. Why? Well, as an interesting experiment in peace and quiet, let's all sit just here and think at each other for the rest of the evening. Well, people can't be terrible sociable just below. No, 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 no. No words, just silent, restful thoughts. There's just no sense. Thank you, thank you. What? I said thank you. I knew you'd cooperate, so I just said thank you. Oh. <laughs> Don't mention it. Well, all right. Thanks. Of course, I can take a hint, you know. If people don't want to talk, I can be as close-mouthed as anybody else. Mm. And I love to think. <laughs> Gives a person something to occupy their mind. I could sit right here till two weeks after doomsday without a single word passing my lips. Even as a baby, I didn't try to talk until I was nearly three months old, you know. My mother was terrible, afraid I'd never... Roscoe Gardener, aren't you ashamed of yourself? Huh? You should have your mind scrubbed out with soap and water. But gee whiz, what did I do, Mom? Oh, don't try to look so innocent. I got that thought you just transferred in my direction. <laughs> oh, gosh, Millie, I wasn't even thinking. Hmm. I was just lying here trying to scratch my left ear with my right foot. Oh, wasn't you? It was the mayor thinking. And anyone who casts such thoughts behind a person's back... Look, look, be... look, you, you weren't tuned in on my station because my mind was a perfect blank. Well, somebody thought it. Mm-hmm. And seeing you and Roscoe are the only ones in the room... Well, it's a goldfish, Ah, sure, you can't eliminate that Tiffany sardine, you know. And I guess fish can send out pretty strong thought waves, seeing as they're supposed to be brain food. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I... I suppose it could have been Mr. Weissmuller. He sort of had his scales up because I cut down on his fish food. Last week, swimming through his castle, he got stuck twice. Jolly, instead of trying to get him thin, I should think it'd be easier to get him a bigger castle. Mm-hmm. Well, in case you don't know it, Roscoe, there's a post-war fish castle shortage, you know. The price of even small two-entrance grottoes has rocketed sky-high, and any goldfish lucky enough to have any kind of a castle, no matter how inconvenient, had better hang on to it. <laughs> he looks sort of lonesome, swimming around in the fish bowl all by himself. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to Mrs. Weissmuller? Did Mr. Weissmuller eat her? No, no, they were just temperamentally mismated. Uh-huh. So I took her back to the five-and-dime store. What does he do? Eat seaweed in bed? No. No. But Mrs. Weissmuller likes to swim clockwise, and Mr. Weissmuller wanted to swim counterclockwise. It was just smash, bang, smash every minute of the day, you know. Mm. Got me so nervous, but Roscoe... Yeah, Molly? Will you please take your foot down from behind your neck and see who that is at the door? Well, sure, Molly. I was just trying to see what I'd look like if I was a monkey. Oh, my. I bet you if I could get both feet up, I'd look pretty good. Oh, monkey. Mercy, my stars. I don't know where he gets such crazy ideas. There's nothing crazy about him at all. They're just normal conversation for a boy of his age. Yes, well, I don't know, Mayor. I sometimes think we should never have let him take Spanish. What in thunder Spanish got to do with it? Well, goodness knows what he's been putting in his head, you know. 
If they're going to teach foreign languages, they should teach them in English so the parents can understand them. <laughs> yeah, they're both right there to study, Dr. Kate. Oh, uh, thank you, Butch. Hello, Mayor. Good evening, Marilla. Oh, why, Dr. Kate? Oh, Doc. We we didn't send for you, but you can sit down if you won't send a bill for your time. (laughs) (laughs) I won't. This is a personal call. I'll go take the doctor's hat and coat. I'm out uh, drumming up trade so I can pay my income tax. His bag, too. Take his bag. (laughs) Could I? Could I interest any of you in an expensive disease or a nice, luxurious operation? No, sir. No, no, no. You couldn't because I haven't anything to spare. (laughs) I'm giving the Bureau of Internal Revenue one tonsil and my appendix and my own tax return. Oh, Mayor. (laughs) Dr. Keith. Yes, Butch. Can I borrow your stethoscope? Oh, sure. It's right there in my bag. Help yourself. Oh, gee, thanks. I always wanted to see how it won't work. Now, you be careful, Roscoe. I'll bring it right back. I'm going to put it on Sweet Alice and find out how she ticks. Delicate instruments like Sweet Alice. Here, Kitty, Kitty. Come here, Kitty. Roscoe, Kitty. Roscoe, 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 Say, what happened to your feet? Did you parboil them? Nope. No, these are my new red slippers that Marilla gave me for Christmas. Oh, Lord. I could stand up in the corner and go to sleep. I don't know why I feel so done in. Well, everybody else is in the same condition. You've got a post-Christmas mental hangover. Well, maybe so. I have it every year myself. Sometimes it takes me the whole month of January to snap out of it. Uh, I wonder why it is that the minute New Year's is over, everything seems too dull and flat and uninteresting. Well, the main reason for it is that the town looks that way. Now, put that other piece of wood on the fire, will you, please? Oh, oh. Uh, for the whole month of December, the street lamps have been decorated with evergreen and Colored lights strung along the whole length of Main Street, and holly wreaths and holly berries in every window in Springdale. There, that ought to burn a while. And then, right after the holidays, lights and evergreen and holly disappear, and the town looks as bare as the picked carcass of a Christmas turkey. I guess that's it, Mayor. I know I miss our Christmas tree. Yes. Uh, my living room seems sort of empty and unfinished without it. Yes, and it's those discarded trees that bother me the most. Oh, how so? Well, I hang around for weeks and months afterwards. Uh, I meet them in alleys and on vacant lots, leaning against back fences, piled on top of ashes and rubbish on their way to the city dump. Ghosts of Christmas past. Yes, that's right. Every one of them with a bit of tinsel, a red ribbon, or cotton snow hanging to them, like the last rag and tatter of Christmas. Well, still, what can you do with them? Ah, I don't know. Only it seems to me that anything that brings so much happiness deserves a better fate. Oh, okay, Murley. But if I get bed sores, it'll be your fault. Oh, here you are, Dr. Case. I, I brought back your stethoscope. Oh, just drop that in my bag, Butch. Oh, for borrowing it, I gotta I got go to bed. <laughs> huh. Ain't life terrible. Well, good night, Mayor. Good night, Butch. Good night, good night Dr. Case. Hey, good night. Oh, uh, bed. Always being stuck in bed. Might just as well have been born a noister. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, nice boy. Yeah, yeah, Butch is all right. Well, I guess I'd better collect my pills and powders and travel along home. Ah, it's been a long day. Did you just come from a case? Mm-hmm. Oak Street. Little girl. Serious? Polio. Ooh. 
Lord Almighty. Uh, seven, her last birthday. Can you do anything? Well, I'm hoping. What's her name? Patty Burton. She was doing pretty good. Then they sent for me tonight. She'd been crying the whole day. Did you find out the reason? Christmas tree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they had one for Patty. It's been right by her bed for almost a month. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, after that long a time, it lost most of its needles. It looked pretty scraggly. Yeah, sure. So, oh, they took it down last night. Then they put it out in the yard where Patty could still see it. But she cried all day. What are you going to do about it? I don't know. In that little black bag, I've got pills that'll put you to sleep, relieve your pain, lower your fever, aid your digestion, or kill your germs. <laughs> if you know something, Mayor, I haven't got one darn remedy that'll mend a kid's broken heart. <laughs> well, thanks for the fire and the conversation. I've got to go home. Well, I'll see you to the door, Doc. Say goodbye to Morelli for me. I'll do that. I'll do that. And you and the missus reserve a night to come over to supper. Ah, we'll make it on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the day for Mrs. Stevens' baby, but I, I think she'll wait till Saturday to take advantage of the Friday markdown sale at the bottom. <laughs> well, good night, man. Good night, Doc. Good night. Plowing over. We may have some more snow by morning. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Good night, Doc. Good night. <laughs> German song. It means Christmas tree. Well, we used to sing it in English. Mm-hmm. Wait, I'll pick it out for you on the piano. Oh, Tannenbaum. Oh, Tannenbaum. The grunts in deine Blätter. Would it be possible to get a two-column box in tomorrow morning's paper? Oh, fine, fine. I'll dictate what I want. And the heading will be to the people of Springdale who like Christmas trees. Housework and most any kind of work is hard on your hands. But that doesn't worry Mrs. H.D. of Carlstadt, New Jersey. Her hands still look nice. You'll hear how she does it in a letter Miss Gregg is going to read now. I run a chicken farm, and I have to go out in all kinds of weather to feed my stock. Every winter, I suffered terribly from raw, cracked fingers until I started using Noxema. It helps my hands stay smooth and comfortable. But what's even more important... Well, let me break in a minute, Miss Gregg, to explain why Noxema does so much for chapped skin. It's medicated, that's why. Nurses have used Noxema for years. It's made to soothe and help heal raw, rough, irritated skin. Mrs. H.D. can tell you that, Frank. She says, my two children have to walk to school these winter days. 
And they were almost in tears because their chapped hands and faces hurt so much. I started treating them to a little Noxema before they went out in the cold. It relieves the chapping and it's made them so much more comfortable and happier. Try Noxema right now, while the weather is at its worst. And while your druggist is featuring the big 10-ounce economy jar. Now back to the mayor of the town starring Lionel Barrymore. Well, it's now the next evening. And all day long, the roads and paths that wind to the top of Blueberry Hill have resembled the climax of Shakespeare's Macbeth when Burnham Wood came to Dunsinane. But the forest that marched today on Blueberry Hill, by car, by truck, by arm, and by shoulder, has been nothing but Christmas trees. Old Christmas trees with bare, scraggly branches, but each one bearing a scrap of tinsel, a tatter of ribbon, or a bit of cotton snow. And what started this march to Blueberry Hill? Nothing very much. Nothing of any global or even continental consequence, unless you're one of those nine people in ten who are more or less sentimental. Just a small girl's tears, and the mayor's announcement in the Springdale Morning Chronicle. Hey, Mim, just listen to this. To the people of Springdale who like Christmas trees, and especially to those who remember their own childhood, and how they cried when their tree was stripped of its holiday glory and put with the trash in the alley. <laughs> you know, you know, I used to do that, Mame. Yes, sir, I remember when I was about... <laughs> Say, what'd you do with our tree, Mame? Is that it lying out there by the back fence? You see, Patty Burton is seven years old and a very sick little girl. She's been crying over the loss of her Christmas tree. With your help, I hope to make her a wonderful tree that will last her until next Christmas. Steve? Steve, will you get our tree from the alley and put it in the car? I'm taking it out to Blueberry Hill. myself every year, every year since the Christmas when I was even small and you mm-hmm. And so did I, Patty. Why, <laughs> Christmas wouldn't seem like Christmas without a tree, you know. Mine, mine was right here by my bed. Yeah, you know, that's just where I'd have put it. And it had just lots and lots of ornaments. Uh, I bet it was the prettiest tree in Springdale. And way up on top, there was a star. I know just what you mean. Star so high, it almost touched the ceiling. Way up there it was. Oh, no, why, that's twice as tall as Marilly is. And every night we lit the lights. All of them? Red and yellow and, and green and 
white. Oh, I wish I could have seen that. Oh, it was just wonderful. I can believe it. Just, just wonderful. Yes, sir, that's the only word for it. But yesterday they took it down. Yes, Patty, but don't you see They said it was dead, and they put it out in the yard. And after a whole But it wasn't dead, Mayor. It wasn't dead. It was beautiful. I know it was. Now, I know. And then today, today a man came. And he took it away. Patty, Patty, don't do that. He took it away in a car. Patty, please. He took it away. And now I'll never, never see my Christmas tree again. Oh, now, Patty, Patty. Why did he take it? Well, not that. I am going to be truthful with you, Patty. He took it away because I asked him to. You, 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 You see, each kind of tree, like all kinds of people was created for a special purpose. Now, there's fruit trees, like uh, cherry trees, and apple, and peach trees, and plum, and, and the nut trees, like like walnut, and chestnut, and, and butternut, and, and every year, season after season, each one of these trees loads its branches for us to harvest. Well, yes, but... But now, 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 a Christmas tree, mind you, a Christmas tree is an extra special kind of tree. You know why? Why? Because it only bears once in its whole life. And its one and only crop is the rarest and most priceless fruit of all. People call it happiness. Mm-hmm. Christmas time happiness. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Christmas time happiness because it's a very delicate fruit. No matter how hard you try or cry, it won't last beyond the holiday. But, but my tree... You, you know where your tree is right now? No. It's up on the top of Blueberry Hill. But, but why? Well, because I wanted to find out if there was any truth in an old legend. My father told it to me, and, 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 and his father told it to him. What legend, Mayor? Ah, now, as near as I can remember, it goes like this. If you take your Christmas tree to the top of the tallest hill, and in our case, that's Blueberry Hill, on the fifth night before the first full moon after Christmas, which is tonight, and if that tree was loved and someone had harvested its whole wonderful crop of happiness, but then it'll burst into flame and burn so tall and bright it'll almost blind you. And wherever the wind drops the smallest ash, a young Christmas tree will start to grow for some future Christmas. Well, well, you know I never heard that before. Hmm. Blueberry Hill, right up there, isn't it? Yep, yes, you could look right out this window here and see it if it wasn't so dark. I don't see anything burning, do you? No, no, no. Well, you can't trust these old legends, you know. Probably nothing in it at all. But I did love my tree. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I yes. loved it more than anything I I ever had. I know you did. I loved it just, just mm. terrible. I loved it just... <gasps> Mayor! Huh? Look, look up on the hill! It's burning, it's burning, Mayor! I'm Gloria, it really is. Why, it's lighting up the whole of Blueberry Hill by the day. Oh, it's burning, it's burning because I love it. It's the brightest tree that anyone ever saw. Oh, Mom. goodbye, goodbye, Christmas tree. And next year.
guess I ought to be thinking about getting to bed. Yep, yes, getting late. It's been kind of a hard day. That's right. Nice day, though. Wonderful. Mm. Little girl seemed terrible happy. I think she was, Merle. Mm-hmm. All those trees certainly did make a blaze, didn't <laughs> they? <laughs> That's right. Uh-huh. There's only one thing that kind of bothers me, though. Yeah, what's that? Well, I've always kind of prided myself on the memory, you know. Yeah, sure, sure. Once I hear a thing, I very seldom forget it. Yeah, that's right. And I've been trying to think and oh, oh, trying oh, oh, to think. Oh, oh, I wouldn't do that. The truth be known, I've been racking my brain. Huh? That's dangerous. And for the life of me, I can't even remember hearing anybody tell that legend you told Patty. Well, I never heard it either. You mean you just made it up? Well, legends have to start sometime, don't they? <laughs> who knows, a couple of hundred years from now, it may be a real legend. Yes, but it couldn't. Why couldn't that? Well, anyway, I'm planning to make the burning of Christmas trees an annual affair in Springdale. Well. It sort of finishes up the holidays with a with a nice feeling. Uh-huh. Mm. Well, I guess it does. Yeah. A lot better than having them hanging around for months and months and months and wondering what to do with them. Yeah, that's right. Yes, it is. Well, well, I guess I'll go along up to my room. Good night, Merlin. Sweet Alice is out, and if you'll let her in before you go upstairs, I'd appreciate it. I'll do that. I'll do that. And this is the night to wind the clock, you I know. I won't forget it. That wood in the fireplace sometimes... I'll put up the fire screen. Damper on the fire. I'll put it down. Well... Good night, Merlin. Good night. Oh, oh, I almost forgot. I locked the front door, too. Well, that's not what I was going to say. I hmm? was, uh, I was going to tell you I made some donuts this morning. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There's two on a plate with a glass of milk. They're right there on the piano. Oh, well, you better you. eat them. You better eat them right now so you won't go right to bed and have indigestion. Okay, sure. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. Well... Well, good night, Red. Good night again, Merlin. Good night. Good night. Good night. I hope Roscoe's remembered what I told him and not left the bathroom door open. When yes. he does, it gets the cold in there. You don't have to brush your teeth. You just hold the toothbrush against them and shiver again. <laughs> oh, my stars, these stairs are going to be the death of me someday. Wonderful day. <laughs> hmm. Wonderful donuts, too. <laughs> That's a wonderful old world. The mayor and Marilli will be back in a moment. Mister, whether you realize it or not, a close shave always scrapes off some of your tender top skin. That's why your face so often smarts and feels irritated. Don't just endure this everyday annoyance. Shave the cool, soothing, medicated way as thousands are doing. Bill Magison, a Pittsburgh salesman with an exceptionally tough beard, writes, I've experimented with various shaving methods for years. Today, thanks to Noxzema Brushless Shave Cream, my face is no longer sore and irritated from daily shaving. You see, Noxzema Shave Cream is a medicated formula that soothes, helps protect sensitive skin as it softens the toughest beard. Gives you quick, cool, painless shaves. Helps heal the razor damage that causes shaving irritation. Four out of five who try it report they never found a better shave. For your skin's sake, switch to medicated Noxema shave cream right away. 
daddy lying there, it almost made me cry. Uh, yes, it's apt to be so long and so hopeless, you know. Oh, it isn't hopeless anymore, Marilly. What do you mean? Well, well just this, that if everyone in Springdale, in every place in the country, will support the March of Dimes with their contribution, no matter how small, they'll light a flame of hope as bright as that fire on Blueberry Hill. Well, I know it's a wonderful thing, of course, Mayor, but how does the March of Dimes work? Well, the, the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis uses half of the money right in the community in which it was raised. Uh-huh. And guarantees hospital care to all polio victims. Hmm. And the other half used for research and prevention and cure of polio. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Well, I think it is. Mayor, do you know where the hammer is? Why, sure, of course. Why? I'm going to break my piggy bank for the March of Dimes. Ah. Be sure to be with us next week at the same time when the makers of Nazi Mug and present the mayor of the town in a chapter called I Dreamt I Dwelt in Marble Halls. Our script tonight was written by Charles Taswell. Music by Bernard Katz, and the original Mayor of the Town musical theme was composed by Mr. Barrymore. Mr. Barrymore appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Sinclair Lewis's Cast Timberlane, starring Spencer Tracy, Lana Turner, and Zachary Scott. And now, this is Frank Martin wishing you all a very pleasant good night for Nasima. This was transcribed. This is ABC. The Stay tuned, because we have an episode of People Are Funny coming up next. But first... Vincent Price tells us what he'll do in his next movie. Listen. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, Vincent. I'm glad to be working with you tonight. You know, you're a popular guy. You're what they term plenty big box office. That's right. Just call me B.O. Plenty. <laughs> Vincent, it's swell of you to come to do this show when I know you've planned to spend the evening at home with your old granddad. With, uh, old granddad. Yes, that's one of the famous high prices. Yeah. I don't understand that, do you? No. <laughs> well, now, about your movies, Vince, it seems to me that in every picture you've done lately, you go around knifing beautiful women or strangling pretty girls. Oh, yes, hon, I'm so tired of that. I'd like to forget knifing and stabbing for a while. I'd like to invite girls over for dinner and poison the food. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I bet it gets pretty tiresome. Well, I'll say. You know, but in my next picture, things will change. I do a love scene with gorgeous Rita Hayward. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I meet Rita in a romantic garden beside a moonlight pool. Yes? Yeah, and I lift her in my arms and I hold her close. And her curves are as round as an Alka-Seltzer tablet. <laughs> yes? Yeah, we melt into a passionate kiss, a burning kiss. She murmurs, darling, you're wonderful. You set me on fire. Yeah, yes, and, and then the natural thing, I drop her in the water and listen to her fizz. <laughs> well, that's beautiful, Vincent. Beautiful. Tonight, someone will croak. Wait till you see how on People Are Funny. <laughs> and now here is Radio's Topmaster Ceremonies Art Link Letter. Oh, boy, are people funny. Even animals are funny. Did you hear about the farmer up in Salt Lake City? His house caught on fire. He has a watchdog. <laughs> so faithful, he kept the fireman away till the whole house had been burned down. <laughs> really happened. May happen yet tonight, huh, Rod? Right. Who's first on the show tonight, Mr. O'Connor? 
Mr. William Scherer from Louisville, Kentucky, Mr. Linkletter. Hello, Bill. Hello, Art. Do you believe the old saying, uh, the old wide tale, I guess you might call it, that you get warts on your hands if you handle frogs? No. You don't, don't believe it? No. <laughs> we'll find out. What do you care if your fingers look like old pickles? Uh, I guess, Bill, that you are single. I am. And what business are you in? I'm in the Naval Reserve waiting uh-huh. for Margaret's. Well, you're into the army. Uh-huh. Your period of waiting is over. You're ready to go into action tonight. <laughs> Mr. Shearer, for the next 30 minutes, at any rate, you are a hunter. Boys, get the hunter's cap. Put it on him. Give him the big net. Bring out the spear. Bring out the hip boots. <laughs> have you got any idea what you've been hunting? I have no idea. Uh-huh. Give him the hunter's call, will you? Blow that. <laughs> Don't you recognize that? That's the call of a frog for his mate. <laughs> yes, Mr. Shearer, tonight you have been a frog hunter, let us say. Your bag of game, where is it, fellas? Bring out the gunny sack with a lot of big, beautiful, dead frogs inside of that. I'll tell you what you're going to do, Mr. Shearer, what every hunter does oh, when he no. comes home with extra oh, game. No. He's going to share it with his neighbors. <laughs> You don't live around here, do you? No, I don't. Uh, We don't care. (laughs) We'll find a neighborhood, and you're going to send you out with all this gear and equipment. You'll put the hip boots on out in the hall so you'll look like you've just come out of the swamps. We'll take off this blue suit coat, and then you just go up to any front door you want. You pick it out in the house while you're driving along in the neighborhood. Knock on the door. When somebody answers, what will you say? Want a frog? does seem a little inadequate, doesn't it? <laughs> no, I tell you, figure up some cute little story like you can say, I'm new in this neighborhood, and I know you'd like to have a couple of lovely edible frogs I just caught. How old are they? The frogs? Mm-hmm. They're brand new caught. Oh, oh, oh. We killed them up in a vice president's office right here at NBC this afternoon. And, and then, of course, after you say your story, you reach in and, and pull out a frog and hand it to them. Mm-hmm. It'll be kind of fun to give away a lot of dead frogs, won't it? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> You think? Well, I tell you, just for the fun of it, we're going to make it more lively. Boys, bring out the sack of live frogs. Now, those are the live ones in there, and they're really live frogs. Believe me, we went to a lot of trouble to get them. See them jump in there? Now, you give people their choice, either a live frog or a dead frog, but you must give them away. Talk the people into it. Say, frog legs are wonderful. They're edible. They taste a little like chicken, you know. And uh, uh, now, uh, get, give them away, even though they haven't been cleaned. I mean the frogs, not the people. (laughs) Now, go to as many houses as you can, and if you manage to give all your frogs away, we'll give you $100 worth of our fine prizes. Now, Mr. Atkins will drive you to a nearby neighborhood, get you back on time, and by the way, if they ask you where you got the frogs, uh, you got any idea where you go frog hunting around here? Uh, no. Well, say the La Brea Tar Pits. (laughs) They get everything out of there. Whatever you say, you can't mention people are funny. Tell them you've been frog hunting someplace. You got the frog call? Give a blow. On your way. Say goodbye to them, audience. There goes old Hopalong Shear. Remember, if he doesn't get rid of the frogs, he doesn't get the $100 worth of prizes. But now get this. If he does get rid of all the frogs, (laughs) wait till you hear what happens then. He'll be in even worse trouble. Well, anyway, I hope he wins something. A hundred dollars worth of those big premiums over there, for instance. A wonderful $21 combination electric grill and waffle iron. Handsome man's sport shirt in your choice of smart colors. 
A new streamlined electric iron with temperature control and dozens of other things. Every one the best of its kind, top quality, nationally advertised. Art, our next contestant is Miss Margaret Roth from Los Angeles. Well, Miss Roth, do you enjoy new experiences? Oh, sure. Lots uh-huh. of fun. Well, you're going to have one tonight. <laughs> what do you do for a living, Margaret? I'm a home economist. So I mm-hmm. help demonstrate things, too. Well, you're going to demonstrate something tonight. Uh, you're a pretty good talker, aren't you, Margaret? Well, you have I to be in your line. As a home economist, you know that almost every woman listening in has at some time or another, including yourself, borrowed from friends and neighbors. Oh, sure. Well, what have you ever borrowed? Oh, uh, clothes, various articles of wearing apparel, food. Mm-hmm. When you're short of something. Yeah, uh-huh. whatever you want to borrow. Now, before we went on the air, you recall Mr. Goodell here asked you for the phone numbers of some of your married friends who live around Los Angeles? That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, we checked, didn't we, John? Right. To see if those friends were at home. And the second number you gave us answered. We just said, oh, sorry, wrong number, and hung up. So we know they're there. Now, we want you to go into that phone booth and call this woman who is a friend of yours and who is home and try to borrow something. Do you think you can do it? Well, it depends. Maybe uh, I don't know what she's got. What do I have to borrow? Oh, that's very easy. Whatever it is, she has it, I can assure you. Just tell me this one thing. Will you try? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. I'll give you a $100 prize if you succeed. And it's a very little thing we want you to try to borrow. Her husband. Oh, Some lady down there figured it out, didn't you? I heard a lady say, oh, that's a husband. You want to get rid of yours? I'll tell you, you think you could do it, Margaret? Well, I'll sure try. All right, now look, we'll make it easy on you. We'll give you three minutes to do it. And we'll give you a good story to tell her we've invented. And if she's a good friend, she may lend you her husband. Now, you tell her that a friend of yours from back east came in suddenly, invited you out to Ciro's for an evening. Your regular boyfriend has a bad cold, and we want to know, you want to know if she'll loan you her husband, see? You need an escort. What do you think she'll say? Well, gee, I don't know. <laughs> Hard to say. You know her pretty well? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Now, some women will do anything to get rid of their husbands. Maybe this woman will jump at the opportunity. <laughs> now, we have a phone booth over there, so your friend can't hear the reactions of our audience. And the lady's name is Mrs. Zam, isn't it? Z-A-M. Is it Alakazam? No. <laughs> What's her name? Her name is Martha. Martha Zam. All right, Mr. Goodell, go into the phone booth and start dialing the number. And, Miss Roth, as soon as Mr. Goodell gets your number, you go into the booth. We give you three minutes. We'll close the door on you, but we have a microphone hooked on the line so everybody can hear the whole conversation. He should be having the number. All right, go on over there quickly now. Into the booth, take the call, and remember, you have three minutes to get it underway. Hello, uh, is this Martha? Yeah. Well, how are you? Hey, who's this? This is Margaret. Margaret Pratt. That's right. Well, fine. Well, how's everything over there? Everything is just fine. What can I do you for? Well, I'll tell you, uh, I'm in a little spot, and uh, I've been invited over to Ciro's, you know, tonight. Yeah. And uh, my boyfriend won't be able to make it, and uh, I was just wondering if I could borrow your husband for the evening. It won't cost you anything, you know. And, uh, well, our friends will pick us up, and uh, he won't have to take the car or drive or anything. My husband? Uh-huh. Well, gee whiz, I'm a general master possible, darling, because he has an engagement. Well, uh... Listen, I'd invite you to come along, too, but you know how it is. They, they would have a uh, one-man short, and uh, it uh, would be a lot of fun. Uh, and I'll could, talk... I, could I talk to somebody else? Because he has an engagement with uh, uh, Margaret. Yeah, but I'll have him back before midnight. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> it's impossible, dear. She has an engagement. Well, after all, you really won't mind, and, and I won't be alone with him at any time, and... Uh, I'll talk about you most of the time, you know, real nice things about it and everything, and 
I'd have to get that new iron you want for bed. And, uh-huh. and uh, then I could tell him how fortunate he was having such a good manager and how you do everything over in the yard and, you know, take care of things and make the house look so nice and everything like you do. Are you sure you're just going to talk about the house and everything like that? Oh, no. I tell you how nice you look when you get all fixed up and go out and everything and uh, what a good manager you are. And just... Uh-huh. Just push your stock up. Are there going to be a large group? Oh, about six or so. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. Well, I'll tell you, we have this musical engagement, but uh, mm-hmm. well, uh, to uh, oh, he and as a matter of fact, I think I can get him to go if there's a group. Oh, that'd be swell. Now, if you say uh, he can go, uh, he'll go, won't he? We'll be back by midnight. And, and listen, I'll bring you some match covers because I know how you like them for your collection. Oh, well, well, that's wonderful. Okay, well, we'll pick you up in about an hour or so. Okay, well, thanks a lot. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. She did it two minutes and 23 seconds. Two minutes and 23 seconds. She had three minutes. She's did it by 37 seconds. Come on out, Mr. Hart. You know the biggest laugh I got out of the whole thing? She says, if I say he goes, he goes. <laughs> you have won the $100 prize, and of course, we'll phone her right after the show and invite her and her husband to go along on the party. And before you go to Ciro's, don't forget to pick out $100 worth of those fine prizes over there. Many purpose combination electric grill or a deluxe inlaid bridge table or anything you want. Goodbye and thanks Thank from you. People Are Funny. Now, Rod, who's next? Mr. Clyde Brennan from Los Angeles. Meet Art Linkletter. And here he comes, dressed in an old-fashioned bathing suit. Hello, Mr. Brennan. How do you do, sir? Mr. Brennan. <laughs> That's a gorgeous thing. <laughs> you look a little like a cucumber. Uh, do you know why we dressed you in the gay 90 bathing suit? No, I don't. Afraid not. Well, of course, it could be that you're going bathing, Mr. Brennan. Now, we picked you out of several volunteers who were bus drivers. Who do, you, uh, who do you drive a bus for? Los Angeles Transit Line. How long have you been driving a bus? About uh, 12 years. Who gives you the most trouble, men or women? Well, women, I believe. Is it because of the, they can't get the change out of their purse, or they don't know where they're going, or they're late in getting on, or what? Uh, that's right. Which? Uh, <laughs> Did I hit it on every note? You, you hit every note. You were happy about being a bus driver? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. You happy about being on the show? Uh, well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you find out. Uh, now, uh, most people, do you think, feel that bus drivers are pretty good guys? Well, uh, I think so. Mm-hmm. Want to bet? Bet what? Well, I'll tell you what I'll do, Clyde. This is an interesting experiment. I will pick five people at random. And if three of them have only good things to say about bus drivers, you get $100 worth of fine prizes. But if three of them have bad things to say, Mr. Brannon. What do you see being unveiled in the center of the stage? Like a tank of water. That is a tank of water, but not just ordinary water, Mr. Brannon. That is ice water. (laughs) And above it, you will notice a little seat. And the thing that supports the seat has a hinge in the middle of it. Just help him right up into the seat, because when he sits there and the... <laughs> it's perfectly all right. You just sit right on the seat. He's a nice big fella, too. 
Now take the plank out from underneath. Now, nothing is between Mr. Brannan and the ice water except a little support which might give way if somebody pulls a rope. If we hear three bad things about bus drivers, Mr. Brannan, out of five, down you go. And you seem a little bit uh, skeptical. I'll bet I know what you're thinking. I'll bet you're thinking that the people here in the audience, knowing where you are up there, will think up bad things to say, huh? Well, uh... You pick on the elderly woman, will you, please? <laughs> Tell you what I'll do, Mr. Brannan. I'll do better than that. These people here are prejudiced. They'd feel one way or another because they're either sorry for you or they want to see you get into the water. So I'm going to leave the studio and go out onto Sunset Boulevard where we have a microphone on a long line out there and people walking by don't have any idea what's going on in here. I'm going to pick five passers-by at random out on sunset, and if three out of the five say bad things... Okay? Well, there goes Art on his way to the street. You people here will be able to hear what goes on out there, but they won't be able to hear you. And remember now, if them think bus drivers are all wet, one bus driver we know will be all wet. Art will be there any second. Now, let's see what happens. Here we are, out on Sunset Boulevard, ladies and gentlemen. Our first guest coming up to the microphone now, here is a lady. Your name is? Mrs. Lena Ratchet. Do you uh, ride in buses? I sure do. Uh, we're taking a poll on what people think of bus drivers. What is your opinion of bus drivers in general? Well, they don't call out the streets loud enough. <laughs> You go out of your way, maybe two, three blocks, and you have to go back. You tell them about it, and they say, well, madam, I couldn't help it. That's a rather a poor opinion of bus drivers. That's right. They should talk a little louder or have them install speakers in their buses so that people wouldn't drive past their destination. Thank you very much. Well, that is bad. Uh, your name, sir? Harry V. Thompson. We're having a little poll out here on the street trying to discover what people think of bus drivers. In general, what is your opinion? Uh... They pull away from transfer points entirely too fast. You can't make connections. Uh, in other words, uh, even if they see you running up, they may not wait for you. You think they were going to the races? Well, I, I'd say that's two bad opinions. Thank you very much. Uh, can we get your name, please? My name is Dick Walsh. Uh-huh. What is your opinion of bus drivers? Say, are we on the radio? Yeah, this is Coast to Coast Radio. Uh, I ain't got nothing to say. Nothing. <laughs> all right, now, wait a minute. If you don't want to express opinion, that's all right. Here's our next guest, another man, wearing a light top coat. Your name, sir? Harry Martin. Uh-huh. You drive the... You ride in the buses. Oh, every day. The Western Melrose bus down to downtown Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Well, now, what do you think about bus drivers? Well, I think they do a terrific job. I think they must have the brains of an Einstein to remember all the stops. Some of these old bloggers that get on and start fumbling about for their monies and change, they can't get hold of the stuff. And the people waiting behind to try and get on, and these, these bus drivers keep their temper like angels. I think they're terrific. Well, that's fine. You like bus drivers. That's two bad and one good so far. Here's a lady, Mrs. Uh... Thelma Hanson. What, what is your opinion well, about that? Well, I think they're very nice and always very polite. I've been very nice and very polite. All right, thank you very much. That's too good and too bad. Let me get this lady with the little cherries up on her hat. Uh, this one is quite important. You are Mrs. Uh... C.A. Moore. 
Do you ride the buses? Yes, I live in the Valley in Encino, and I ride in every day, and I think they're very nice. So there's one old man on our line that gets a little crabby late at night, but I think it's because he's so old. Otherwise, they're very nice to me. Uh, well, now, you've qualified your statement. I, I want you to give me a straight answer. Yes or no, do you think bus drivers in general are okay? Yes, I do. I think they're very nice. Well, thank you very much. What you have just said is going to make a certain bus driver very happy. Thank you. You ask anybody who listens to people are funny, and you'll know why. Well, Mr. Brannan, you won your bet. Help him down from his perch, fellas. And after the program, he gets to choose $100 worth of prizes. Handsome wristwatch, fine tailored sports jacket, anything he wants. What do you know? He did it. Mr. Brannan. Were you a little nervous? Yes, Art. Very much so. That, that last lady looked so cross, too, when I walked up to her. You get $100 worth of prizes, and I, all I can say is, is that uh, don't feel too bad about any of the criticisms, because people are funny, and when you deal with the public, you've got to meet a few people who are sore at anybody. Isn't that right? That's right. Thanks for People Are Funny for coming on down. Shucks, we got those tank and everything and that ice cold water <laughs> going to waste. Anybody like to jump in? <laughs> Who's next, Rod? Mrs. Frances Anderson from Los Angeles. Meet Art Linkletter. Hello, Mrs. Anderson. Hello, Mr. Linkletter. <laughs> you look like the kind of a lady who never gets into trouble. No, I don't. I... But there is always a first time. There is. This may be it. What do you oh, do, Frances? I'm a housewife. And Mr. Anderson is a. He's an electrical engineer. And you have any little. Uh... Yes, I do. Not so little. Two boys, quite big. Good for you. You don't. You look as if they'd be very young. No, one's over six feet. <laughs> really? You must have some magic mud pack or something. <laughs> Mrs. Anderson, uh, what were you asked to do when you were first chosen from out of our studio audience to be on the show tonight? I was given five envelopes and uh, told to write my name and address on each one. Now, for doing that simple little stunt... You get $100 in cash. Wee! Wasn't that easy money? <laughs> Lovely. The easiest I've ever made. Now, there's just one little uh, <clears throat> catch. As soon as you wrote your name and address on those five envelopes, we changed your prize money, that $100, into $20 bills, and we put one into each of those envelopes. Would you like to know where they are now? I certainly would. So would I. Because right after you addressed them and the $20 bills were put inside, they were taken out and dropped on sidewalks around town. Now, those envelopes are all stamped and addressed to you because you addressed them yourself. Yes, I did. But they are not sealed. So to get your $100 prize money, Mrs. Anderson, all you have to do is to wait until people pick them up and uh, mail them to you. You mean I'm really trusting the public? You have How to. How do I know they'll do that? That's what we want to find out. Are people honest with other people's money? Very clever of me to use your money for this experiment, oh, isn't it? very clever. Now, don't worry. We've made it easy for you. We did not seal the envelopes, and inside each envelope, along with a $20 bill, is a letter. Here's a copy of it. Would you read it? It says, uh... uh dear Francis, understand you're short of dough lately, so here's the 20 bucks I owe you. Regards, George. And the question is, will people who find these envelopes and read that note and look at the $20 bill mail them to you or not? And we'll find out because now we want you to go home and wait for the mailman. And next week, come back and we'll get a report on whether or not people are honest. Okay, Francis? I certainly will. See you next week. Art, our frog hunter is back. 
Or the man with a sack of frogs, dead and live? Well, let's give him, get him back in and see if he got rid of them and gets the big prize. Send in the frog hunter. Look at him. He's really got the hip boots on. He's got the net and the frog stick and spear and the hat. Now, Mr. Scherer, uh, at how many homes did you try to give away your frogs? Well, we stopped. I went in about 10 or 12 different places. and uh, Mostly men or women answered the door? Well, there's a bunch of women playing bridge or doing something at the table, and I rang the doorbell, and the door was open a little bit, and nobody answered, so I knocked on the door, and this lady came to the door and opened it up, and I said, could I give you a frog? She looked at me like I was nuts. Yeah. And uh, I said, I got some frogs here. I've been out here at the tar pits uh, frog hunting. I've got a bunch of frogs. She said, well, what am I going to do with a frog? So I said, I don't know, and I handed it to her. A big, she a did, big... she just, it was one of the live ones. She just stood there and looked at me. So there's did she kids. take it? She took it, and there was some kids standing there, and this little girl was coming down the steps, and I run over to the house next door, and I run over to her, and I said, hi, and she said, hi, and I hand her a frog, and <laughs> it jumped out of her hand, and... and uh, Probably this other woman is using it right now for a bridge prize. They use anything for a bridge prize. <laughs> and uh, this little girl, uh, was she scared of the frog? No, she wasn't scared. She took it in her hand, and it jumped off, and it... Two dogs and a cat took out running after it. I was running after the dogs and the cat trying to catch the frog. Uh, Sounds like a very interesting evening well, for a boy with nothing to do. Uh, did you give away more live or more dead frogs more easily? I gave away, I gave away the uh, dead frogs easier. They didn't want the live ones? Uh-uh. They said they could cook the, the live ones, but the dead, uh, the dead ones, but the live ones, they couldn't do anything with. Well, they, then I, they might wait for old age that they finally die, you know. Well, it kind of messed me up. I went in the sack to get the live frogs, and they were little bitty ones. And I reached in the sack and get the dead ones, and they were about that long. About a foot long? Yeah. Uh, did you get more than one away at a house? No. Uh, well, yes, I did. I, this one woman on the porch, I gave her one, and uh, this, there was two of them standing there talking. I ran up and I asked her if she would like to have some frogs, and the, she slammed the door Hollered, no, get away, get away from here. Yeah. And, scared uh, of frogs. Yeah, and so this other Must lady... Must be a Democrat. This other lady was coming off the porch. I asked her, and yeah. she said, uh, my son likes frogs. So I said, well, here you are. Here's one. And I threw one in her hand. Wrapped well, it up in paper for her. She wouldn't touch it. Yeah. Well, I noticed I you're it. getting warts all over you here. I got it all over me, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Here is that big question. Did you say you gave them all away? I gave all I had with me away. Well, that's wonderful. The Navy needs a man like you. As a matter of fact, that means you win your prize. A hundred dollars worth of those premiums over there. A complete fishing outfit. A big electric lantern for frog hunting. Anything you want. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week with more old-time radio. I hope you can join us then. Till then, this is Jim Dolan thanking you for listening. 